Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And you guys today are going to love, love this conversation. We're back in the nonprofit world, but with a serial entrepreneur, one of my really good friends, Laura Whitaker. Laura, it's great to finally get you on the podcast. I am so excited to be here. Yeah, this is great. And in person too, not on the phone. Yes, we actually get to look at each other. This is crazy. And the Atlanta View. (laughs) No, I kind of get, you know, a lot of my interviews now are like on the phone. So it's so great to be in person. We actually get to look at each other and give each other a high five and be real people. Yes. (laughs) That's right. Well, um, so for those of you that don't know Laura, she is the executive director of Extra Special People. We'll refer to it as ESP for today. And Laura, you and I have known each other now for a couple of years, not too long. We've got tons of mutual friends, but we met through a really great program called Leadership Georgia. You want to share anything about that before we jump into ESP? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a statewide program pulling leaders from all over the state of Georgia together. You've got politicians, you've got judges, you've got nonprofit leaders, you've got for-profit leaders, and um, it is a wild adventure, (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) No details needed. (laughs) No details needed, but we go five places throughout the state of Georgia, spend a weekend there, and really learn about um, our community and our the state of Georgia. And it's awesome. I mean, I learned a lot, didn't you? I told, of course. I mean, like, and we've talked about this on other podcasts, but Laura, you and I, and before we hit record, we're talking about the value of being involved and like going beyond the day job and finding things you're passionate about and then investing in those and how they link together. And I mean, especially here in our state, Georgia, and then Atlanta, I mean, we're talking about the overlapping networks of people that are doing things. It's pretty incredible. It really is. And these people are remarkable people. (laughs) I mean, they are remarkable people doing remarkable. That's right. That's right. And um, the friendships that we have built through that program are amazing. I mean, I'm staying with somebody tonight that is from Leadership Georgia. So it was a gift. And I really, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, I feel like. no question. And I, I, I've a whole another conversation another time on just kind of getting involved in things like that. But today we're here to talk about extra special people and your role there and the things you're doing, I think are just unbelievable. And I knew a little bit about it before we got together today, but I had so much fun kind of diving in and seeing just the great things you guys have done. And I'm passionate about kids. I'm a family ministry guy. Um, and so I, I'm really looking forward to diving in. So help everyone here understand what the organization is and what it is today, and then we'll talk about where it came from. Sure. So ESP is an organization that creates opportunities for individuals of all abilities to engage, to connect with people, and to ultimately thrive. So we are a place where we're not a service. We're not um, you know, a place where you come and get therapy. We are a way of life. And people are moving from all over the state of Georgia to our community just for the community of ESP. So we serve about 450 individuals throughout 30 counties in Georgia. Well, and you took on the role from Martha Wiley, That's correct? Right. Talk about that and how you got how you, a little bit of your background and then how you got involved. Yeah. So um, pretty unconventionally, I was a student at the University of Georgia, grew up in Atlanta, went to school, was a freshman, uh, started volunteering for ESB. Volunteering was very much a way of life um, for my family. And that really planted the seed um, for me to want to continue giving back when I went to school. And um, and so I went, heard about ESP, started volunteering, served as a camp counselor. Ah, nice. 
And Martha was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer that summer. And um, so she passed away in October of that that year. And um, so at the time, there was really, there was a lot of uncertainty, not quite sure how things were going to we're going to pull together. And so we had to raise $50,000 in a couple months. Um, so at the age of 19, I started as executive director. Um, and that's really how it all began. And 15 years later, I really feel like sometimes you choose your job and other times it chooses you. I was just going to say, that's your quote. I that's love that. Quote. That's, a, that's a great bottom line for this <laughs> it really podcast. Is. It really is. You know, that's really interesting. So you're in this role, all of a sudden the, the position opens up and you, you're suddenly the leader. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges for you as you stepped up out of the kind of camp counselor role and into leading this organization? A much different type of, type of focus. Yeah, I look back and I think like, what wasn't a challenge, right? Like everything was a challenge. Fundraising, I mean, fundraising programming, volunteers. Absolutely. I mean, hiring like, my my peers that were my age or older than me, and by the way, had been at the organization longer than I had. Right. Um, you know, I think about you know, all of the things, like everything from financial statements and QuickBooks and liability and HR. But, you know, what comes to my mind first is everybody that's on uh, involved with a nonprofit understands boards of directors, right? Right. And so if you're on one, or you work in a nonprofit, or you volunteer somehow, so a board really is the top tier of the organization. So when I first took over ESP and started as executive director, we had three board members. Three. Three. Um, Martha did it all. So there was three board members. They met once a year and did whatever Martha told them to do. And um, one of them, (laughs) when I took over, tragically lost her son. Oh, jeez. The other one um, is still on our board of advisors. And the third was in jail for embezzlement of another nonprofit. Wow. So that's how I started. Welcome to your new role. Welcome to nonprofit (laughs) management 101. Um, And so everything from governance um, to fundraising to HR, to program planning, um, all of it was was things that I had to learn, and I really had to learn at a rapid pace. And by the way, I made a million mistakes. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll get to some of those. I want to yeah. get some of your lessons learned a little yeah. bit later. But that's part of any new leadership role, right? You got to yes. sort out like what your priorities are and, and people, and, and the quick and do it quickly, right, for the organization. Yeah, and you know, sometimes I talk to young college students, and I tell them there's really something beautiful about not knowing what's in front of you. Right. Like I think as I've aged, I know the challenges that are before I make a decision. I know the 20 challenges that are ahead. And sometimes that gives me hesitation. But as a 19 year old, I didn't know what challenges were ahead. So I was bold enough to say yes. And it was like one of the most wonderful, stupid decisions that I ever made was saying yes to be an executive director at 19. Um, But there really is something unique about that um, innocence. And and I'm so thankful for that opportunity because if I was 29 instead of 19, I would have said, heck no, I'm not (laughs) going to take over an organization. I don't know how to do that. But at 19, I said, yes. Why not? And look at where we are today. Well, and so let's talk a little bit more about ESP. So ESP serves children and young adults with developmental disabilities Mm -hmm. and their families through year-round programs, year-round thrive programs, you call them, family support and community involvement. So talk about how that organization, now that, you know, when you first took it over, has evolved over time. What were some of the big priorities in terms of growing the organization? Yeah, so when I first took over 15 years ago, it was six weeks of day camp and then one program a week, one program a month, excuse me. And we served about 100 kids at the time. Um, So we had a really long waiting list, a growing waiting list. So for example, I'd have a mom of a kid with autism who would call me and say, oh my gosh, I heard about ESP. And I'd and say, then you couldn't say yes. Yes. That'd I'd say, welcome thing. to the family. I'll put you on the waiting list Ugh. and repeat over and over and over again. And so, so hard. 
one of the things that we did really like on the crux of the recession, which was I was sat down and told time and time again, oh, that's really cute, Laura, that you want to raise $3 million in three years to build a new building. Right. But you can't do that, sweetie. People aren't <laughs> donating. We have just gone through one of the worst recessions in in sure. known to man, and you, you can't raise that kind of money. And we said, well, you know, if we if we raise two hundred thousand dollars, we'll serve more kids with two hundred thousand dollars. If we raise five hundred thousand dollars, we'll serve more kids. And um, and really, you know, our goal was not only to serve more kids, but to serve them every day. Got it. So, a uh, mom um, with two kids, single mom, which, by the way, the divorce rate is tremendously high for families who have a child with a disability. Um, and so, mom's working. Mom doesn't right. get off till six o'clock. Right. Who watches the kid who has the G two right. or the tracheotomy? Um, who who watches that kid? So, after school program really was like a dream. Um, so, let's not serve them just during the summer. Let's serve them every day. And um, so, we launched this crazy campaign: three million dollars in three years. We raised four million dollars in three years. Wow. Built a 15,000 square foot building, and wow. now we are serving 450 kids every day. Every um, day? So we serve. At, oh my gosh. So wow. we have 170 college students that come from the University of Georgia. Oh, we uh, gotta add, I told you, we got to add some other colleges to that we list. We got to add some other colleges to the <laughs> Especially list. Georgia Tech. And as we move closer to Atlanta, <laughs> yep, we, right. we, we will add more Georgia, Georgia Tech students college, to that. Georgia that's right. Tech. That's right. That's right. Um, but for now, that's where they come from. That's great. And, um, and they help run our after school program. So we have grown and we have a new facility. It's beautiful, and we're continuing to grow and really push the envelope on what most people think people with disabilities can do. And we say yes, they can, and we push the envelope further and further. So uh, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits out there, and uh, we've both seen some that do well, and then or they do well for a short period of time, and then they kind of go through different cycles due to leadership changes and whatnot. But what I think is really interesting about your organization is that you've had some steady growth, and and you've been able to somehow get not only the volunteers and engagement, but also the dollars to go with that. So what's been some of the core reasons why that's worked out for extra special people? Well, I think first of all, I mean, I always say the kids are the cake. Like they're always awesome, right? Like right. funfetti cake. You see the pictures and you go, when can I come volunteer? Exactly, right? exactly. So having having a really, really great mission with really great people to serve is definitely totally. like the heart of it. Um, I think the other thing is when I was when I was 19, I went and uh, sent a letter or an email to five different nonprofit executives that I admired. And I said, will you mentor me? Guess how many emailed or called me back? How many? None. What? So what I did is I went to the Terry Entrepreneur Society sure. at the University of Georgia. And I sat at the table every single month, one Friday a month with other entrepreneurs who were building their businesses um, one of them's Drew French for, that started Your Pie, and oh, um, you know now he's all over the country. But he was building his first Your Pie while I was building ESP. Got it. And what was cool was that my mentors became for-profit entrepreneurs. And so I think one of the biggest challenges in the nonprofit world is that we don't look at our organizations as businesses. That's interesting. Okay, and why do you think that's the case? Do you think it's because the individuals running those don't have the business mindset, or? Yeah, I think maybe either leadership or board leadership. Um, I think oftentimes we get so captivated by our mission that we forget that really the oxygen of our organizations at the end of the day, yes, it's heart, yes, it's people, but it's money. Right. It's money. Yep. The more money we have, the more people we can hire. The more people we can hire, the more people we can serve. 
um, the more money we can raise, the better people that we can hire, the better we serve our missions. And so um, I think that's really something I learned very early on. I didn't even know I was learning it. (laughs) You were living it. I I was living it. um, But I think it was really a gift that those five people didn't email me back because I got to learn from a lot of my for-profit friends that taught me how to run a business, taught me about a mission statement and a value statement, taught me about core values. They taught me about a strategic plan. Those are things that aren't happening in every organization. No question. A lot of organizations, yes, but not a lot of small to medium nonprofits are really strategic in the way that they work. And um, I was able to learn that from a lot of my colleagues, which was really cool. Yeah, that's. It, I think it's a good lesson for each of us, right? We can all make that impact on others I mean, and other organizations if we take that mindset. Absolutely. And I think boards and volunteers really need to challenge nonprofits, not only to, um, to think more strategically um, and to think more business focused, but I think we have to challenge them also to think about um, pay and quality that's of people. I mean, you know, this idea of like overhead, people ask like how many cents on the dollar is does my dollar go to your organization well no one would ask a for-profit business that question <laughs> but let's let's That's think true. about like you know why is there so much turnover in nonprofits right. it's because they can go to a for-profit and get paid three times the salary yep. but if we have good people and we're able to pay them well in nonprofits our missions we're going to serve more people we're going to be more effective. We're going to be more productive in the same way that a for-profit business sure, is. So no that's question. one thing I love to talk about is, you know, we are as great as our people are sure. and we've got to hold people in our organizations. And one way to do that is pay. Another way to do that is culture. Another way to do that is mission and great leadership. Yeah. One of the things you had told me before we hit record was that you're, you're like a clockmaker, right? You are like, to, you like to build something and then move on to the next thing and be thinking about, you know, what you can do next. You kind of have that natural sense of discomfort with the status quo, which I think is amazing. I don't see that in every nonprofit out there. I see a lot of leaders who might get into the role and almost cruise slash get, get a little comfortable, comfortable, yeah. and then oh, we need to ramp up for the next big campaign, and then you know it's all about that, and then it's not a, a continuous cycle of be th- being thinking forward. Yeah, and I think that's what for for business people understand is True. like momentum, right? Like <laughs> totally. it's all about momentum. So one of the things I've seen at ESP is like, okay, we we launch something and we do something really great. People feel it. People see it. By the way, people benefit. And then you move on to the next thing and you launch a vision for that. And then you get more people involved and people benefit and people love it and people want to be involved and then they give and then they move on to the next thing. So that momentum definitely builds upon it. Um, And that's, that's definitely been some of our secret sauce at ESP for sure. I I can tell. And, um, and I, that's definitely a, a hot topic for me about momentum. All right. So in terms of growing, I love some of the things you've got coming up. And I want to make sure we spotlight those. So talk about Java Joy, talk about Camp Hooray and those programs and how you're thinking about those in terms of your growth. Yeah. So um, in terms of Java Joy, Java Joy came to us about two years ago. We, um, We kept hearing from corporations, our corporate partners who are amazing that give to us to help cut the cost of our programs. And they kept saying to us, Laura, One of the reasons I love giving to ESP is that my employees come in and they volunteer and they leave better people. And there's almost this joy that is transformative that these kids get. And it helps our company. It helps our culture. uh, It helps my employees personally. And I kept thinking like that needs to be something that is replicated. Sure. Um, our individuals have an ability that no one else has. And um, and so we did a Kickstarter campaign 
I did not even know that. Yes, December wow. two years ago, and um, and raised fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and bought our cart and yep. our little trailer. And Java Joy is a mobile coffee cart, so it goes into businesses and organizations, and it's run by people with disabilities, and we call them Joyristas. Oh, Joyristas, Joyristas. So That's not a, cool a barista; right. it's a Joyrista. That is um, awesome, and it is amazing. I mean, we come to Atlanta. <laughs> we're going to a wedding in North Georgia. We've been to South Carolina and North Carolina, but it's really catching on. And the beautiful thing, um, I had a guy from Silicon Valley call me last week, and he said, "Laura." We've got to figure out a way to get a job of joy out right. here. I've never had an experience with someone with a disability before. This is an executive that invests in IT companies, right? right? Not your typical uh, volunteer of your local nonprofit for, for people with disabilities. So he had this interaction at his IT company that he invests in. Sure. Uh, Barracuda here in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. And Barracuda Networks. Barracuda Networks. Yep. And he had this in Barracuda hired job of joy for two of their days for their sales training had this interaction. So you get a hug. It's really all about service. So you get a hug, you get a great cup of coffee, you get an inspirational quote, and you have this interaction with someone with a disability. That's awesome. And he walked away and he said, I was moved in a way I didn't know I could be moved. What? And and so this, this idea of culture, this idea of appreciation, this idea of spreading this joy is really catching on. And not only is it cool that it's Yes, employing 20 people with disabilities, which, by the way, the unemployment rate's like 80%. Not only wow. is it spreading joy, but it's giving people who wouldn't typically have an interaction with a disability the opportunity to see people with disabilities and for their abilities instead yep. of for their disabilities. Yeah, so it's and pretty cool. <laughs> for those of you listening going, yeah, I could totally do that at my company, javajoy.org. I mean, book it now. I'm looking at the website and thinking about when, what I can do within the company I work in Let's every day. Let's do it. I Let's mean, do seriously, that. that's yeah. so cool. It really, and once you book oh once, God, like we, have, we have repeat customers. Oh, I mean, think about the number of times that we run to the local store to grab Cambros right. of coffee. Well, you can do that for the same price totally. and employ people with disabilities oh and have so a culture experience. Companies have lobbies with multiple companies. I mean, yes. you know, anyway, okay, yes. so that's Java Joy. That I love is Java that. Joy. And then talk about um, your other big foray that's coming up. That's right. So um, Camp Hooray is the the mission of Camp Hooray. We actually kind of fell upon this 70 acre property down I-85. And, you know, I said, nope, we're not interested in an overnight camp. Nope, we're not interested in an overnight camp. You would think by now I would learn that it's right. not about what I want. <laughs> it is about the bigger picture right. here. And um, so we did some research throughout the country and really found that there is a need for a fully accessible camp built from the ground up that's universally designed. And so um, through a crazy series of events, we called uh, UGA School of Archi or School of Environmental Design and said, hey, would you guys work with the Georgia Tech School of Architecture? What? Georgia Tech. They could work together? They could work together. <laughs> and everyone kind of on my board laughed. I'm like, sure. <laughs> yeah, getting the two schools to work it's, together. Good luck. Right. And so the dean uh, over... But this at, is a big idea. Yeah, it's this a big awesome. idea. Yeah. And the, so the dean over at UGA goes, um, I got to stop you. <laughs> we actually just formed a memorandum of understanding with Georgia Tech to work on projects that better the state of Georgia. Oh, wow. What timing? And we would love nothing more than to do something that, that benefits really cool. ESB. Very, very cool. So um, we had students that went back and forth. So essentially, it is the idea. It's it's a universally designed camp where kids in wheelchairs will get to sleep on the top bunk one day. Wow. 
that's unique. Georgia Tech students designed oh, the cabin. I'm really telling cool. you what, there's some good things coming out of that school. Cool. Um, I have you on mic uh, recorded saying that. Now I, too. That's right. That's right. But don't, don't forget, it was in partnership with UGA. <laughs> right. So there, the, the benefits were on both sides and they worked so together funny. on that. So, so, um, so yeah, we're really excited. Uh, we will start, uh, we're in the kind of silent phases of, of that campaign. But our goal is that one day, kids from all over the country will get to come right here to Georgia down I-85 and kids in wheelchairs will get to sleep on the top bunk. So we're That's really, really excited cool. about what a that. Neat, big idea. Well, um, before we wrap up, I wanted to have you share like one or two of the biggest lessons learned you've experienced in your leadership journey. Um, we have a lot of listeners that are entrepreneurs, a lot of listeners that are leading organizations or small businesses or large. Um, and, you know, and I, I always like to ask our guests to share what, what, you know, one or two big things would be, what would those be for you? So I would think one, um, you know, if I were to ask what one thing do you need to be successful? Um, I think in, in my role and particularly in any, I think leadership role, um, my secret sauce has been humility. Um, I have, I have surrounded myself and been forced to surround myself with people that are much better than I am, much smarter, much more productive. And what's, what that mentorship has been a big part of my life. I mean, I still have five mentors that I meet with very Mm. regularly but what That's that does awesome. is it helps people to buy into you. Um, I think it's helped me to grow at a much more rapid pace because I have other people around me teaching me, training me. Um, that humility has given me the opportunity to teach other people. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't pretend to know it all. <laughs> right. 15 years in as a nonprofit executive, and I still feel like I have so much to learn and I'm a lifelong learner. And so I read books and I listen to podcasts and I do whatever I can to soak up knowledge so that I can be the best leader that I can be. And I really feel like that's my responsibility. And so um, I think that's something that I learned without even knowing that was the gift of taking over at the age of 19. And that's then I awesome. just never stopped. That's kind of my thing. But I think humility isn't something that is really um, something that's talked about in the for-profit yep. or nonprofit world. And it's not something that's talked about in leadership. You're right. We and Again, another topic we covered before we hit the record button, but I mean, you know, I, I actually, my day job, one of our core values is humility. And, you know, we were talking, there aren't many companies out there that would use that as a, a value. And there's a lot of leaders, I think, that think they can't have humility that's to right. be in their or roles. Or see it as weak. Right. 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 And that there's something that we don't, you know, it's, it, you're lacking if you have humility. And what it does is it produces humility in the people that you lead and they feel okay that they made a mistake and it gives you coaching opportunities for the people that are under you, for the people that are above you, like my board of directors, it gives them opportunity to buy in and say, hey, I want to help. And here's here's how I'm going to help you. Um, and so there's really, I mean, it is a secret sauce. So I think that's that's one thing that I've really learned. The other thing is, you know, Early on, um, really until about five years ago, I made a lot of hiring mistakes. And um, I mean, that's a whole thing that we can unpack. I know we can do a whole other episode really, on that one. I mean, but I, I did learn, you know, the typical um, hire slow, fire fast. But I think more than anything um, was I learned to hire on um, value instead of hire on skill set. And um, Interesting. Seek- so hire the person not the perfect development officer yes but instead hire the 
right culture fit. That's right. The right culture fit and the person who has the right values. So as one of the first questions I ask them and I don't give them chance to prepare, like, what do you value in life? What are things that you value? (laughs) What's important to you? And you really can tell, you know, depending on if it's, you know, travel or if it's my car or if it's my dog or if it's whatever it is, you can tell their personality and what they value pretty quickly with that answer. Um, And so I think I've learned to train and be okay with training my people, but hire the person and what they value first and then train skill later. That I think is excellent advice and a common theme, by the way, across the now hundred and 12, 13, 14 episodes. I bet, uh, you know, if I go back and summarize this, which I'm going to do at some point, you know, at least a third of them is around hiring decisions. But, and you know, I don't work for an organization that's a religious organization, but I do feel like faith has been a big part of my journey. Um, there's a lot to be said about faith and gut and going with both of those things. And so I think that that can go into play in hiring, that can go into play in making bold vision statements, um, that can go into play to who, who you put on your board, that can go into play um, with a lot of your decision making. And I think faith has been a really important part of my journey and a big part of ESP success. I'd say the same for me um, in personal, my personal life. So uh, last but not least, talk about where our listeners can find you and engage with you and your organization. Absolutely. So we are in Athens, Georgia, but Camp Parade is going to be a national project and Java Joy is going to franchise nationally, which is wow. really cool. That's, the, That's a neat idea. We are working on that. I mean, there are people from all over the country that need to be hired that have these abilities that I don't have and you don't have, but right. they have that transformative joy. So, um, extraspecialpeople.com is our website, javajoy.org, campparade.org. But um, you can find all of that on extraspecialpeople.com. And of course, liking us on Facebook, <laughs> liking us on Instagram, of all of that kind of stuff helps spread the word and spread the message as well. And I guess the last thing I would say is um, engage people with disabilities. Like the next time you see them at the grocery store or in the restaurant, don't be afraid of what you're going to say and don't let your trepidation stop you. Engage them, look at them in the eyes, say hello, compliment their sweatshirt, whatever it is. Um, that That's something that we can all do on a day-to-day basis and really makes more of a difference than you realize. Okay. That was amazing conversation. <laughs> Thanks for having <laughs> me. Very inspirational. Hey, listen, Laura, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.